This podcast features adults using adult language, but you know, you got to grow up sometime. Hey everyone, you know what it's time for? Swans Crossing! Just in time to pick up the foghorn. Hopefully. I mean, I hope it's. I hope the mic is getting it. Oh, the mic's definitely getting that. Mm. Isn't that fun, y'all? That's that's what it's like to live in a small maritime seaside mm-hmm. town, just like Swan's Crossing. <laughs> exactly like Swan's exactly Crossing. Exactly like Swan's in Crossing. In every respect, including the snake pit. Yep, we got one. <laughs> we got a snake pit. We got a minefield. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, before we actually start this episode, I just want to say. As a warning, there is no way for us to do this episode without talking about grown-ass men victimizing young girls. So, if that's something that you don't want to hear people talk- talking about lightly, <laughs> maybe skip it. Well, and, and it's even it's even weirder right now because we just had a guy arrested in our community for this very thing. Yeah. And and it's, it's unfortunate. Yeah, it feels really creepy and weird. But uh, he was not a rock star, though. No, no. <laughs> I Definitely guess that's not. all I'll say because technically innocent until proven guilty. Oh. Uh, well, anyway, this has got to grow up sometime, a Swan's Crossing retrospective. I'm Libby Grant. I'm Nathan Kessler-Jaffrey. And uh, what a morning we're already having so far, what with the foghorn and all. Uh, we watched episode 46. It was disgusting. Yeah, it was, like, this is, this is a, tr- like, not only is it horrific in terms of the content, it's also just a really bad episode. Yeah. Quality, writing, very little happens. And, you know, add to that our stellar production values, and it's just going to be a miserable experience all around. Yep. Stop <laughs> listening right now. <laughs> Skip to episode 47. <laughs> well, let's go over your predictions from last time. Please. You thought there would be no hospital set, so next time we saw Neil, either JT would have just arrived at the scene of the explosion, or we would get a recovery scene where JT's family was taking care of Neil for some reason, and he was recovering in JT's hammock. I mean, the hammock part, sadly, did not happen. Yeah. But the rest of it did, so yeah. well done. You figured Billy Gunn would be removed from Swan's Crossing somehow, probably by Sydney, while Garrett would climb up a ladder to Mila's bedroom to comfort her, and Sydney would also talk to her. I mean, Sydney's trying to remove Billy Gunn. Yeah. That, I mean, there was effort. There was effort in that direction. So that's point five. I'll take it. Mila would have a confrontation with her mom about her behavior. Yes. You predicted we would never see the Baroness again. I can't 100% recall, but I think you're correct. <laughs> I'm sad. I liked the Baroness. Oh, she was wonderful. (laughs) And uh, we would have some scenes of the aftermath at Swan Soda Shop with Nancy, Sandy, and Glory. Also correct. Nailed it. I feel very good. Feel very good. I feel like the Baroness is a Jack Goldbrick type character who we only see once at most twice, and and then vanishes into the ether. Not unlike, not unlike Garrett's first dad, who then comes back as someone else. <laughs> Pretty much. 
Let, let's talk about the thumbnail. Oh, the thumbnail. The yeah. thumbnail. There's this wonderful sepia filter over the thumb, like over the the camera. It, it gives everything an amber glow as JT crouches over Neil's unconscious figure in the rubble of what must have been the heat shield experiment. It is. I cannot tell you how much I I love thinking about what the guys off camera must have been doing. <laughs> throwing all of this styrofoam into frame throughout this episode. Like, how much fun would it be to throw styrofoam at your leading actors? I oh my actually gosh. have that in my notes. I, I think I wrote, I bet everyone had a really fun day on the set this mm-hmm. day. <laughs> gosh, okay. Oh, okay, we open on Mila sobbing in her bedroom in her rock star getup while the Countess harangues her for her shocking behavior. I encountered my darling, my baby, my angel with that? Oh my god. <laughs> that rock and roll Billy Rifle? Billy Rifle. It's so great. Uh. We already love the Countess for her amazing deliveries and her incredible rants, but... Her full powers are just really on display in this scene. Like, she lets it go. And I finally looked up the deets on this actor, which I should have done 46 episodes ago. But here it is. Her name is Delphi Harrington, which was such a great name. That's so good. She's still out there, still looking absolutely gorgeous at age 85. And she even has had a number of recent roles, including portraying Betty Ford in the TV series Halston last year. A lead role in a 2018 pilot called Maturity, which looks like it was extremely awesome. I'm mad it never got past the pilot stage. She's had roles on Blacklist, House of Cards, had a supporting role in the 2016 film Sully with Tom Hanks. What? I did not know this. And has had a number of recurring roles on various laws and orders. Well. (laughs) Um, Including SVU. Which is the one that John Mulaney does such a great bit on. Yes. Um, And of course, prior to that, she acted in tons of different soaps, including Ryan's Hope, which was uh, the one that Marty Kravitz, Swans Swan's Crossing co-creator, won an award for as a writer. Ah, okay. So that's her connection to uh, Swan's Crossing. Wow. Good on you, Delphi, for still being out there. Delphi Harrington is a phenomenal name. It is such a great name, and I love her so much, and I'm so glad she's still out there just clobbering it as an actor. Go for it, Delphi. So our glorious Delphi Harrington continues to enjoy a successful career, but nowhere has her talent been so much on display as in the role of Valeria Rosnovsky. (laughs) Applause! I'm going to put applause in here. Anyway. What if um, you didn't? What if you just said, I'm going to put a pause in here? You'll never know until I do it. <laughs> it it's totally just comes down to what I feel like in the moment when I'm editing. Mm. The Countess exits via the elevator. Mila throws herself at the elevator doors, sobbing and pounding on them, begging not to be locked in. As soon, the Countess says, you're grounded until further notice. And as soon as the word grounded is spoken, this tragic music swells in the <laughs> underscore. <laughs> and it is amazing. I love the way, like, did you ever get grounded as a kid? Like, not really. That's not how my parents disciplined us. Yeah. I mean, I think we've covered this before, but like, I, my mom would try to ground me and I would just be like, oh, lock me in with my books. Tragedy. You know? <laughs> so I didn't care. So she just stopped trying. But, um. I mean, we were homeschooled, so we were like perpetually grounded. <laughs> I just, I think it's funny how, like, in TV shows made for a certain age of kids, and books, too, for, mm-hmm. for that, like, middle school 
age group, grounding is always held up as like the worst thing that can happen to you. So funny. <laughs> so hilarious. I'm not even sure that that's a thing anymore, given how much like parents helicopter now. Probably not. Right? Like, because it used to be that you had a lot of freedom to like go out, ride your bike, yeah. you know, do stuff outdoors. And I don't know that that happens a lot now. Yeah, I mean, I'm not on, nearly my, as much. my sister did ground my nephew recently for okay. not finishing an assignment on time. Okay. And he, he couldn't go hang out with his friends. All right. So it was tragic. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know. If you have to be grounded, being grounded in a palace bedroom that appears to be larger than my entire house, Mila Brosnovsky, isn't a bad way to do it. It's true. The last thing that happens in this scene is that we get a <laughs> shot and a squawk from Tutu. It's hilarious. It's like a dramatic slow zoom on Tutu. Oh god, so good. And he is staring into the camera with as much of an expression of concern as ever a parrot did muster. Uh, we cut over to Swan's soda shop. It's Jimmy, Owen, Callie, and Glory standing in front of Swan's, essentially looking worried and providing exposition. That's <laughs> <laughs> so good. There is exposition that goes on in this episode through minute 17. <laughs> Of a 21-minute episode. <laughs> we get four minutes of actual story. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Glory comments that she should have gone after JT. Jimmy agrees that JT sure ran off fast after they heard that loud noise. Yep. They eventually calm Glory down, get her back inside. Like, if it's anything, the cops are going to call. If Glory's abduction has taught me anything, it's that the, the cops in Swan's Crossing are morons. Yeah, my notes say, the cops have not done a stellar job so far. <laughs> they got this psychopath Garrett running on the loose without <laughs> any sort of... I mean, they've just <sighs> been letting an unlicensed snake pit operate for God knows how long. I'm sorry. Are you implying? Are you implying that there are licensed snake pits? I'm. Uh, I'm. Uh, I'm here at the county clerk's office. I'm gonna need to register a piece of property. Yeah. What is? Uh, what is that? It's a snake pit. I'd like to operate it as a business. What? I'm sorry. How? How does that operate as a business? Well, um, you, uh, you throw people in it and you charge the people who are holding people in the snake pit. Uh, that's just how. It's how. Uh, snake pits operate. <laughs> I think my mind went to unlicensed because I am currently looking for real estate. <laughs> In Victoria, BC. <laughs> Are you trying to find a place where you can have a snake pit? Uh, looking legally? for a snake pit. No, just, it's very, very popular in Victoria to have, like, a, a, an additional, like, a rental suite in, the, oh. in, like, the basement level of a house. Gotcha. So almost all the houses for sale have these additional suites, and some of them are very careful to note that they are legal and conforming, and others mysteriously don't say that. So uh, I'm like, if I buy a house with a non-legal suite, and then I try to rent it out, mm -hmm. am I going to have to convert it into a snake pit in order to operate I it? I would assume so. <laughs> I would assume so. So anyway, inside Swans, Billy Gunn and Sydney sit down together to get away from the crowd. There's a plane going by because the foghorn wasn't enough. You right. guys, our production values cannot be beat in the realm of podcasting. I, I love that they're like, let's get away from the crowd. And they sit at a table literally in the smack in the middle of the restaurant. Like anyone, as we see later in the episode, literally this table is accessible to everyone. And also, the crowd has pretty much forgotten about him by now. Everyone's just minding their own business. Except for one lone photographer who pops up out of nowhere and, like, snaps a couple shots of it. Mm -hmm. Billy says he thinks the sound they all heard was a stage manager who, of course, is named Nigel, the most British name of all, trying out new pyro for his gig. <laughs> and then did you write down anything about this next exchange? Oh, my gosh, yes. Uh, so, <laughs> Owen asks 
if they're still doing the exploding stage thing. And Billy starts to explain that they don't really do the Satan thing anymore. <laughs> I love it. The Satan thing's been so overused lately. Right? The Satan thing. I mean, to be fair, this is early in the 90s. The Satan thing had been used quite a bit. Yeah, including in this show. I mean, yeah. you know, it was nodded to with all those dudes in the snake pit. Could it be Satan? <laughs> Callie, Jimmy, Owen, and Glory are sort of drifting around swans trying to see if anyone knows what the boom was. Garrett dresses Glory down because JT and his experiments are nothing but trouble. He tries to say that JT almost killed him with his rocket experiment. But if we recall, listeners, all the way back to episode one, Garrett intentionally ran in front of the exploding rocket so he could fake his own death as a prank against Sydney. Yep. And, and then and as Glory brings this up, <laughs> Garrett's like, yeah, right. <laughs> And there's nothing much to say there, is there? There's not. I mean, I don't know, Garrett. You're the one who brought it up. <laughs> what are you doing? Although, in fairness, have you ever confronted a narcissist about one of their lies and just called them out on it right to their face? I, I, I you know what? I, I've, I don't know why I've never done that. But I gotta, I, I think partially, I think it's probably that that I think it would just not work. It, it works surprisingly well, though. Really? That's pretty much how they respond. Oh, okay. They're just like, that's bullshit. And they just go, yeah. We cut away from this uh, psychopathic exchange to JT screaming for Neil as he staggers through what looks like an underground industrial utility with pipes and plastic sheeting with everything covered in detritus. It's so good. Someone off camera is chucking more styrofoam at JT, as we mentioned earlier, as he just wades through this mess. And then we smash cut hard to the theme song. It's so inappropriate. Yeah. Yeah. And in typical Monday episode fashion, it's a long version of the theme song. And I was like, oh, not, not much is going to happen in this episode. And I was right. <laughs> when we come back, the gang is gathered around the counter at Swans while Jazz talks to someone on the Swan phone. My favorite thing about this shot is that you can see half of Owen's face behind Jazz camera right. It's, it's just, it's like one sunglass at half of Owen's face. Whoever she was talking to, I mean, presumably the police... Uh, said they haven't been able to locate the source of the noise yet, but they'll call as soon as they know anything. So Glory runs out, determined to track down JT, and Garrett follows in hot pursuit. Yes, and also I think it's funny that the police are like, our top priority as soon as we find out what exploded is going to be to call the soda shop. Yeah. Them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep, that's number one on our list. Outside, he catches up with Glory. He's mad for no good reason. I guess, you know, he's worried about that she's going to get into trouble again because of the snake pit thing. Yeah. I suppose it's understandable. But but this is another this is another long chunk of exposition where he recounts her ordeal in the snake pit, the cotton balls, uh, that whole subplot. And it was at this point that I was wondering, did the Swans Crossing writers room above their idea board have Mondays are for exposition? <laughs> Probably. Saja and Callie come to the door to get to see the second half of this conversation between Glory and Garrett, where Glory is valiantly trying to keep the secret that they all that that she and Callie and Saja and JT all know about, which was that she was abducted. Right. Uh, Callie comments to Saja, "Loose lips sink ships," and Saja asks for clarification, which makes gives... sense because it makes no sense. Yeah, it doesn't make sense in this concept in this context. And then the clarification she gives is some other cryptic nonsense that doesn't clarify anything. Mm hmm So, Callie, what are you doing? Come on, girl. Sasha says he should be more careful, and then Jimmy comes up behind them and asks, 
what he should be more careful about. Mm-hmm. And uh, thus unfolds a needless tension among all three of them. Jimmy wants to know what Callie doesn't want him to know, and it occurs to me that all of the problems between Jimmy and Callie could be solved instantly if they would just talk to each other. And of course they don't. Of course, of course not. This is a thing... <laughs> In writing, this is a like a, a common advice that writers share with one another. Where if if you have if the if your plot hinges on something where two characters could just sit down and have a conversation and sort it out, then it's not good enough. Yep. You gotta come up with something better. Yes, hundred percent. Well, we cut back to Garrett and Glory for a moment, where he convinces her to come have a soda as they wait for the police. And then we're back inside to Nancy in what looks like a darker blazer than normal. It doesn't look like her standard navy blazer. It might still be blue, but it looks like real dark, like a midnight blue. It's her morning blazer. It's her morning blazer. <laughs> you know how it is. Uh, she's, chatting up with, she's chatting up Sandy, expressing her theory that Sydney is the architect of Mila's disguise and demise. Ah, uh, yes. And uh, Sandy gets all dreamy over how cool it is that Billy Gunn is here in Swan's Crossing. And we see a shot of him and Sydney holding hands yep. and chuckling together at a table. Sydney, you in danger, girl. Yep. So uh, Sandy gets the idea to have Sydney introduce her, and we cut over to Sydney trying to get Garrett on the, or not Garrett, but uh, Bill, Billy on the plane out of here. Essentially, like, <laughs> I got to get you to the airport. And he's like, I have a private plane. It waits for me. It's not a big deal. Yeah, and he gives her this creepy comment of, we were just starting to cozy up if you catch oh. my drift. Oh, God. Yeah, we catch it's, we catch it, Billy. Yeah, it's so nasty. Uh, we catch it and we throw it in the trash. Yep. Uh, and and then he's all, I wouldn't dream of taking off without a fairly well from my cruel swan, Ugh. would I? Get out. Oh, puke. Uh, Garrett drifts past at this moment to sink a barb with... Looks like that charm of yours is wearing thin. Sydney excuses herself, apparently to the bathroom, and Owen swoops in immediately to annoy Billy Gunn. The Billy's line here as Sydney leaves is, and I quote, Bleeding women always running off to the loo when you're just about to st start discussing important business. Well, as a woman myself, Billy Gunn, I can confirm that when you're bleeding, you gotta get to <laughs> Pretty much top priority. Oh, yes. Cut to Garrett and Sydney, who are muttering together over the present Mila-centric disaster. Garrett says Billy is still chasing after Mila, and if he's chasing, she's not running too fast because, quote, rock stars don't have big girl problems. Oh my gosh. This, uh, the dialogue. Sydney starts to get pissed about all the work she's done and that he's still on her case all the time. He wants Sydney to convince Mila that Billy has dumped Mila, but uh, by, by creating a distraction. Speaking of, Sydney Swan shows up. And then Sydney immediately latches onto trafficking her other friend. Oh my god, instantly. She's like, I know. <laughs> I know. I'll throw my friend at this predator. You have no self-worth. Oh, it's so gross. Sydney leads Sandy over towards Billy Gunn, and they pause, and she instructs Sandy to fluff her hair more. Sandy's hair is already so fluffy. So fluffy. <laughs> it, I mean, it's, it is a bit of a new look for her. Uh, Sydney plops Sandy down, introduces her to Billy, and through this whole exchange, Owen is still talking to Billy. Like, there's dialogue, but there's dialogue over other dialogue. Oh, it's awful. It's so bad. Uh, but Billy is immediately drawn by the bait because he is an abject creep who will go for any teenage girl you dangle in front of him. Finally, 
At long last, we cut back to JT in the wreckage. He's wading through styrofoam and you can hear it making that god-awful noise it makes. And then more more styrofoam blocks fall as we cut to commercial. And I was like, no! We just got back to the, the minefield or whatever the this is. But like just before we cut to commercial, it kind of seems like maybe he has located Neil. Right. It's like blink and you'll miss it. And fortunately, we come back and it's Neil's unconscious form covered in styrofoam blocks. <laughs> As JT starts frantically moving the featherweight blocks off of Neil... <laughs> We hear the sounds of adults calling from off camera. JT is like holding a rag over his mouth now too, so I think we're supposed to believe that there's a fire somewhere. Yeah. He manages to wrestle Neil up onto his shoulder, and he carries him out of the scene of the explosion while heroic synth music swells. <laughs> I the, a couple things about this. Uh, the there's a lot of haze, and this does appear to be a new set. So like, good on you, Swans Crossing. JT is holding, I think, Glory's handkerchief. Up to his nose and mouth. And then when he picks Neil up, he just like puts it in his teeth. So he's like (laughs) trying to... This is the most awkward like attempt to get a limp body on your shoulder that I have ever seen. And he's doing it all through gritted teeth with Glory's hanky. And as he finally like hoists Neil onto his shoulder and starts to... (laughs) Starts to, like, try to get him out of there. There's this moment where the hanky falls, and he, like, manages to catch it with his other hand. It's amazing. It is amazing. Back at Swans, Billy Gunn has gathered a whole flock of potential victims around him. He's telling stories and playing his guitar, and there's something extremely lame and very suspect about an adult man who tries this hard to impress teenagers. The story that he tells... Is of being, like, he was in a hotel or an inn or something, wrecked the rooms. Like, the innkeeper got mad at him. He bought the inn, fired the innkeeper, and they still, they charge extra to sleep in the wrecked beds that he and his band screwed up. So weird. It is, that is literally the entire story. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Billy and Saja walk up, and Billy's all, I'm glad there's some extra guys to handle the chickies since the rest of his band isn't here. Gross. Get out. Gross! (laughs) So disgusting. Uh, Jimmy gets introduced to Billy Gunn. He says he's a big fan of Billy's music, especially his old stuff, to which Billy replies, you know what they say, you've got to sell out to sell out. Do they say that? No, no one says that, but this seems to be very funny to some people, especially Sandy. It does this, like, snort squeal, which Sydney is instantly like, stop it. (laughs) It's pretty great. Sydney comments that rock stars have a certain magnetism, and Billy stares at her like the Terminator targeting a new victim... And tells Sandy to move it so Sydney can sit next to him instead. Sydney, Sydney, to her credit, takes off pretty quickly. Uh, as, yeah. as she's like, no, you gotta get on the plane. He's like, I'm not gonna be leaving nearly as early as I thought. Ugh. That is a terrible Billy Gun. I gotta work on my Billy Gun. He has better I than don't, Billy Gun's Billy Gun. Though. I don't need to work on my Billy Gun. No, please don't. Um, Sydney uh, can kind of sense that that he's a creep though. Like she gets out of there because she can tell this guy's trying to do an Epstein on her. <laughs> Doing an Epstein. <laughs> That's horrible. Um, we cut over to Glory and Garrett. Uh, Glory is not eating her dessert, so he's going to take her home. Callie, I think, trying to like guard against any more like Garrett Glory alone time, jumps in to, and offers to take Glory home instead. But Glory isn't going anywhere because Owen said Neil was running off to a minefield to run an experiment. Minefield. A minefield. I, love, I wonder if the minefield is licensed. 
Oh. Like the snake pit is. I'm, well, I mean, we're going to build a minefield. It's my new business. Is it, are you the same guy that came in to license the snake pit? <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. How are you going to make this work with the minefield? <laughs> what is your business model? It's for training mind-sniffing rats. Sydney pops her head into the group and pulls Garrett away and wants to know how much longer she has to babysit Billy Gunn. And then Garrett taunts her because now Billy wants to victimize her instead of Mila. Mm. It's gross. Yeah. The thing the thing that Garrett says that's just really horrific is just a short flame to get Billy off of Mila's scent. Oh, uh, every word of this is <sighs> gross. Uh, Sydney indignantly says that Garrett's treating both her and Mila like a couple of pieces of meat, which is true. Yep. But he brings up the birth certificate again to strong arm her about uh, not upsetting her mother's mayoral ambitions. It is the weirdest conversation that leads up to that. It's such an awkward bit of dialogue. Garrett, I thought friend was a relative term to you. Sydney, what are you saying? Garrett, I mean only a relative is a real friend, right? What? And then he goes on to say... Her nearest relative and therefore her best friend is her mother. And that's his like in to remind her that he has this birth certificate hanging over the campaign. Again, more exposition. God damn, that's some bad dialogue. Yep. It's not the actor's fault, to be clear. This is totally on the oh, writers. Yep. Uh, Garrett leaves, Sydney pouts, Jazz walks over wearing what I assume is is Billy's leather cap on backwards. Yes. And she addresses Sydney as girlfriend. Oh my gosh. Uh, then she subtly encourages Sydney to embrace the fact that an adult man possibly wants to abuse her, which maybe isn't surprising given Jazz's history with Neil. <laughs> she says, she says, I'd trade my best something fantasy to be in your position. Did you get the word? I don't know because the dialogue is drowned out by the rising cacophony in the background, but I, I wrote <laughs> I wrote in my notes, I think Jazz says she'd change her best ape pants to be in Sydney's position. I don't think that's really what she said. Nope. But that's what it sounds like. I'm pretty sure the second word is fantasy. I'd, I'd trade my best blank fantasy to be in your position. Ape fantasy? Ape fantasy. Sure. Okay. All right. Whatever you're into, Jazz. All right. That's your thing. All okay. As long as it's not children. Yeah. Ugh. She pushes Sydney back towards Billy Gunn, who's now strumming his guitar while all the teens of Swan's Crossing play terrible percussion on various restaurant implements. This music. Kill me. Goes on for so long. Mm. It is an unconscionably long time. And then... We cut to the FBI guys. Well, before we do that, though, I just have to comment. This scene really drives home how true it is that you can tell when it's mostly white people in a crowd because they always emphasize the one and the three <laughs> instead of the two and the four. Yep. Yep. Can <laughs> anyway. Can confirm. Cut to the guy who used to be Garrett's dad, but is now an FBI guy. He's getting off the phone and he says, there's been a disturbance at the Atwater Cosmetics Lab. The other guy goes, any injuries? And he says... Unconfirmed. We're having difficulty contacting our agent, and this sends them into a flurry of activity. The first guy grabs the phone, the other one puts on a headset, and then grabs and opens what I am 95% sure is an empty three-ring binder. <laughs> there is nothing in that binder. It might generously be assumed that there is a single sheet of paper in the binder. Maybe. That is very generous. 
It's never seen. I'm curious. Does the FBI have a barrack in every town? I would assume so. Your tax dollars at work. I, I assume we have an FBI agent here. I mean, we probably do, um, now that we had a huge arson here. Well, yeah, there's, there's that. We got to the Baldies. Oh, yeah. Lurking in the bushes, because that's right. what they do. It looks like they're in front of the No Man's Land Wall of Stone, which is, I'm sure, the set that they're using. But I think we're supposed to be believe that they're near the site of the explosion with all the fog and the soot covering Captain Baldy's face. Yeah, I think so. He's also got, like, a cut on his head that's kind of bleeding a little. Yeah, he's bemoaning that his ears were just starting to clear up as he tries to listen to his walkie-talkie and can't hear what the other person is saying, but he does mention that there's no sign of life. Ooh, and then we go to commercial. When we come back, JT's hauling Neil through the set full of foam. He puts Neil down and slaps his face a little, trying to revive him. There is a large tree trunk on the floor in the foreground. Yes! It is. It covers the entire bottom of the frame, and I'm like, well, this feels out of place. And just to be clear, because I don't know if we've really stressed this point yet but the set is supposed to be like indoors somewhere. yeah it looks like it's underground it's yeah it's like a it, it kind of <clears throat> looks like a parking garage or something yeah, yeah so like why is there a tree in here yeah <laughs> it's pretty uh, great neil says something incoherent about the book and the equation which i'm sure is going to be important to the plot later uh, adult voices are heard, JT starts calling to them as Neil falls unconscious again, and then there's definitely a moment as Neil is unconscious and D JT is avoiding falling detritus that JT's hand smacks Neil in the junk. Oh no. Yeah, yeah, he's like right over him. Yeah. He is right over Neil. This, the, the, what JT, what Neil actually says is that he for, he didn't have the book with him and he forgot the equation. So he's like distraught, oh. right? Because his incredible brain has failed him. And honestly, and then, and then JT's like, we got to get you out of here. And he's like, no, I forgot the equation. Like, leave me. I deserve to die yeah. in this rubble. Honestly. I, I, I deserve to die in this styrofoam. <laughs> this is how I react to whenever I have a book that doesn't sell very well. <laughs> I just leave like, me. I faint. I mutter, leave. I can't go on. Go on without me. I'll stay here in the rubble of my mind palace and allow it to collapse upon me. <laughs> And then, like, three weeks later, I write another book because I gotta pay my bills. Right, so. you gotta pay the bills. <laughs> so pay the bills. Uh, JT hears someone. He starts yelling for help. We crossfade back to the unnecessarily noisy crowd at Swans, where Callie's trying to get Glory to join in the awful cacophony, but Glory can't have fun because she has a bad feeling. There is so much background noise as Glory explains oh. to Callie what is going on with JT and Neil, and this is the moment that I was like... Why are we doing exposition 17 minutes into a 21-minute episode? It's so insane. We cut to Mila's bedroom. She's stroking the picture of Billy Gunn. Oh my gosh. I was like, fuck, this is stupid. Oh, so gross. <laughs> so stupid. She's on her red shoe phone with Sydney, who's on the swan phone at Swans. It's very exciting, the, the fun phones we have in this episode. I am planning on eventually making a supercut video of all the stupid phones in the entire series. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Can't wait. Sydney's explaining to Mila that there's a party going on. Billy is surrounded by chicks, and it's not that the plan didn't work. It was Mila that didn't work. And she says she'll explain later. And Mila explains that she's been grounded and is lonely. Can you come over now? And Sidley's like, no, hangs up. Also, there's something absolutely seizure-inducing happening on the wall of TVs behind yeah. mm -hmm. behind uh, Sydney this whole time. Yeah. I love that I have to clarify which wall of TVs because yeah. there are two different sets with walls of TVs. Yep, yep. 
Yeah, absolutely are. I sometimes wonder if they didn't like if the if the if Mila's bedroom is not on the other side of that wall and they just spin the TVs around mm. to make that work. That way Maybe. they didn't have to buy nearly as many TVs. Probably. As Sydney hangs up, Billy moves right in on her ass. So gross. He's way too close to her. Ugh. He's like looming over her. The phone rings and Sydney tries to answer it, but Billy hands it to Nancy instead. Because uh, Sydney's been promoted from uh, social secretary. I don't know what she's been promoted to, and I don't so, want to. So Nancy gets all cute because a guy handed her a phone she didn't he didn't want. Ugh. And then she answers in a lisp. Swan Photoshop, social secretary speaking. But it's bad news. Yeah. Nancy gets all serious. And hangs up the phone. She tells everyone it was JT and there's been an accident. And instantly, all sound on the set stops. It is amazing. It goes from cacophony to silent. Dead. Immediately. I actually was like, is there a ring? Like, the, the abrupt change... Is so shocking that I felt like there was a ringing in my ears. Uh-huh. And I was like, is that on the soundtrack or is it my ears or am I just hallucinating this because it's so weird? We get a long pan shot over Sydney, Billy, Jazz, Nancy, Sandy, and the other Swans waitress. And everyone in the cafe is perfectly still. Fade to black. Credits. Oh, so intense. Oh my god. Well... I think we're in agreement that Billy Gunn is the psychopath of the week. Oh, a thousand percent. Yes. Oh, so yeah. Gross. In fact, I feel like I feel like he should get two because he's so psychopathic. <laughs> oh my gosh! So uh, next week. Well, what was our swan oh. count? Oh, swan count is uh, three new fake swans, uh, which brings us to four imaginary swans, twenty-four actual swans, and one hundred and fifteen other swans. Nice. Um, so we had the we had Milo's bad swan, we had the swan phone in the cafe, and then the swan in the credits. Hell yeah. Oh, my word. Okay. Your predictions for next week. Okay, so next week. I feel like there's still... We're get a lot more in Swan Soda Shop. That's just going to keep going on. Um, I feel like somebody comes to get uh, JT and Neil out of the, out of the minefield... Uh, either either Glory shows up or Nancy shows up or the police show up or something. Uh, so we get a scene there, but I don't think we're there for very long because because Neil is unconscious. We get more Billy and Billy like trying to get with Sydney and her trying to like get rid of him. Uh, I think Garrett continues to put on the pressure. I don't like it, it, like the smart thing to do would be to go to Mila's, but this makes no sense in the <laughs> world of Swan's Crossing. I think, uh, I'm sort of hoping we get, like, more Callie, Jimmy starting to put the pieces together on Barrick, but that doesn't seem to be where we're going. So I don't think that that's going to happen. I think we probably get, like, something with the Baldies seeing the guys coming out of the minefield. So there's going to be a little Baldy action, and that's what I got. All right. Well, gosh, next week we will find out the the stirring uh, conclusion, or at least the continuation of this taut storyline. Yeah, you you realize we're we're like this. We're in the final four weeks now yeah. of the entirety of Swan's Crossing. Right. It's all coming to a head. Whatever that head is, I don't know. I can't wait to see how you react to the final episode. Oh man. <laughs> Thank you to Richard Winsler and Steve Lane for the use of our theme song Gotta Grow Up Sometime from the hit show Swans Crossing And if you want to find us on social media we're on Instagram at Swans Cross Pod and on Twitter at Gotta Grow Up Pod I got it right this time Yeah! <laughs> and no, until, no, until we can see I didn't get it right that was backwards I wrote it down wrong in my notes Oh 
What? No, why don't you <laughs> no. go ahead and do it right? No. Okay. I'm leaving her. <laughs> Until we can see one another again, may all your business licensing go well. <laughs>